So I'm going to keep on fucking ranting. I don't give a fuck. It's my fucking podcast. <laughs> you can turn your mic off. No, I think the shit I have to put up with. See him, see him, see him dismissing my my pain, my suffering. This this is what people go through the whole time. I'm the one that has to edit the bloody thing. <laughs> I know when it just goes delete, delete, delete. <laughs> so what gems have been left on the cutting room floor then probably more liable stuff that might get us sued to be honest with you so uh, <laughs> maybe when we self and Alan fall out I'll use it against them the black I'll, fuck, I'll do it myself I'll fucking put it out there I don't give a fuck <laughs> fuck the lot of you Now it's time for some straight talking mental health. It is your weekly podcast where we tackle mental health in a different kind of way. Now my name is Peter Dunn and his name is Alan Clark. There you go. Uh, this week we are straight talking EMDR. Um, I know nothing about it, but I'm looking forward to hearing about it because Alan speaks very highly of it. And uh, we'll be chatting to a guest very, very soon. And she's going to tell us her story and how she came across EMDR. So before we get to that, um, how's that weight loss coming along, by the way? Ah, uh, fuck. Ah, uh, no. Up, up, up a pound, man. Yeah. How'd you get up a pound? Halloween, uh, so I was, had James here and we, we made brownies with him and stuff like that and I thought I'd done enough though, I thought I'd done enough during the week to make it up and so I got on the scales this morning and I was fucking disheartened, I was mm-hmm. like, ah look, fucking it happens, plug away, get back, but I, I genuinely fucking honestly thought, like no, I'm a couple, definitely a couple of pounds now now this week. But um, so. what do you think you did wrong looking back now? I had a lot of shite with James at the weekend. Yeah, that'd do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, exercise. You still doing exercise? Yeah, I'm still doing them. I fucking mm-hmm. had extra steps in, and I don't know. So yeah, I'm just yeah. kind of well, just putting it down to okay, maybe it was just Halloween. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always find that once you start into a new program like that. The first week is always brilliant. That's your water weight gone. But yeah, the second yeah, exactly. week is always reality. You know, it's yeah. always, oh, hold on, I was down five pounds last week and now I'm nothing or I'm after putting on or whatever. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it always happens. So don't get disheartened. Keep going. Yeah, no, I wasn't. Yeah. I was a little bit. And then I was like, yeah, fuck it. Look, I'll just go at it. Again. Yeah. I'll go at it this weekend. Uh, I don't have, won't have James for the full weekend. I won't. It's not... Uh, it's not Halloween so I was like I'm not fucking depriving him of sweets and stuff like just because mm. of me like so um need to deprive myself <laughs> put the fucking sweets down motherfucker <laughs> don't make fucking chocolate brownie for the child <laughs> yeah or just pretend you're eating it or something yeah. or just do the that, whole like trick. I, I sent him home with a load of it <laughs> normally I, I'd say oh, well we'll eat that and I'll leave it here I was like no you bring that home now. bring that up and share that with your mammy <laughs> yeah because otherwise I'm going to be eating it when you're gone yeah, that's yeah. exactly what happens huh? yeah. my mom be the same oh bring them sweets home he's enough sweets yeah, but she yeah. might eat them during the week. I said, that's the fucking problem. Yeah, that's I it, will yeah. eat them during the week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, do you have like 50 million things on your oil list this week? No. Stop fucking, stop dismissing me. Stop, stop diminishing my suffering, man. We're here to try and encourage people to talk and you're fucking telling me to shut the fuck up. I'm trying to discourage you from talking because it takes ages to get through stuff. <laughs> no, do, do you know what? I have to fucking... Mm. Uh, had to bring the car up. Remember, we saying there was an issue with the, the turbo. Oh, the turbo, yeah. Brought it up to Opal up in Liffey Valley. And your man's like, oh, we have to run, put it on the diagnostic. So it was an hour and a half walking around Liffey Valley shopping centre with fuck all open. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was literally just doing laps. 
Yeah. But then I was going, so then, you know, different, different mind frame. Well, that's more steps. That's extra steps. That'll help me. <laughs> didn't fucking help me. But <laughs> that's why I was like, oh, shit, brilliant. But then to put her on the diagnostics, like, no, there's nothing showing up. There's no error showing up. So it's like bringing the sick child to the fucking doctor. Not a bother on them when you bring it to the doctor. So it's, it's typical like, oh, when you go to a mechanic, isn't it? Yeah. You know, there's a problem with the car. You drive it there and they go, no, it worked fine for me. That, and you exactly drive away I mean. and it's the same stuff again. It's like, ah, for goodness sake. Yeah. You know. Mm. What's been going on with you? Uh, eh, nothing really. No, quiet. Um, funny enough, I was just, um, we were very conscious, not very conscious, but we were just... We decided to um, kind of limit our contacts with people because of level five and all that. Mm, we said yeah. we'll do what we're all supposed to do and mm. be good. And one of the few, man. You're one of the fucking few. I've counted the amount of between working from home and the kids and uh, my job on Saturdays. Uh, I've counted seven contacts a week is all I have. Seven yeah. contacts. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's kind of rile in another way because you know you miss people, mm. you know you miss that contact, mm. you miss just sitting down and chatting with somebody, and you know uh, although you know it's it's good fun on Zoom when you have your Zoom quizzes and you meet up with people on Zoom. I'm meeting a friend of mine for a pint on Zoom tomorrow, and I can't <laughs> wait for that. And um, hence the reason you you thought it was in a pub earlier. <laughs> your background. I changed the background <laughs> to a pub, yeah, on Zoom. But um, yeah, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm I appreciate that but at the same time you know I, I miss you know not being able to go out and um, or I, I miss being able to go out and uh, just meet people and sit in houses and chat and the usual stuff we used to do but look if it's only short term pain for long term gain I'm I'm happy enough we'll we'll keep going for now you know what I mean so that's, that's pretty much I'm very very quiet here but yeah so I'm saying so if I wasn't a client my contact would be one mm. <laughs> that would be my social contact yeah. that would be that would be James um, yeah, like, man I tell you you're one of the only ones people there's people all over the fucking gaff mm. um, there was uh, what, what's the limit on funerals is it 10? 25 I think 25 yeah there's a uh, someone well known in the town must have died. I, I don't know who it was, and there was a funeral. I was I was just leaving the office. I was going uh, I was going home. No, I was going going to the office, and uh, outside of the church was thronged, packed. Mm. And then uh, out there's the no limits on outside the church. There's only a limit on the inside of the church. So there sometimes was, was, the obituaries no will say, like, yeah, yeah um, you know, um, you can meet outside or whatever but yeah, yeah no yeah. people don't socialize they'll say yeah but ever like people are people are visiting people are uh client client was saying to me there during the week you know i think the fear is gone i said i think you're right and then he he made a good point and, and there's some kind of theory around this that patience has a uh, has a limit you know people can only be patient for so long and i and i think i think we've passed that i think people have passed mm. that threshold everyone's sick of it now and asher i'm just asher i'm only doing this and i'm only doing that and it's not like this is not like the first the first lockdown mm. and definitely not as many people adhering adhering to it no so is that your royal your car or do you have any more no that, that was just me catch up that was that's just what I was asking oh that's, that's only that's only a segue yeah. into your royal a royal yeah, into yeah. another royal into a bigger yeah. royal 
have any royals. Well, one of me is again the, the good and the bad, the smile and the royal. Uh, oh yeah, you so mocked me for this a couple of weeks ago. Go on. No, no, I said the good and the bad, and you were like, no, no, just you fucking. No, 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 no. no. I, I think I'd, or, I, I'd ordered in February, so it's this thing called Remarkable. Um, it's electronic. Uh, it's like a tablet, but it's literally just for writing on. Uh, oh, very good. And it can convert your handwriting into text, and but it syncs all of it then. Um, so I was like, that'd be fucking brilliant. Whenever I go to a conference or I go to a workshop, uh, I'm always there writing notes. But then I never have them to hand when I'm in the office. Um, so I was like, geez, that'd be perfect because it syncs across all your devices and you can access all your notes and you can write on it just and it, you know, it's meant to feel like paper and pen. Great idea. So, you know, and, it's brilliant. and it was like, but then obviously it was pushed out because of COVID. Um, I think I was supposed to get in March or April. I got a Monday. <laughs> and ah, well, speaking of patience. Yeah, there's no there's no fucking conferences, there's no workshops, so it's like it's fucking redundant <laughs> until next year maybe. <laughs> so I was like, oh this is really cool. I was like, I've no fucking use for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've no use for it until probably next summer. But the big uh, question is, does it understand your handwriting? Have you tried oh God, it out? No, no I don't well, I don't understand my fucking handwriting. Well, how do you expect <laughs> it to understand your handwriting? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm impressed with Spotify he knows my musical taste, but there's no fucking way they're like, What the fuck is wrong with this motherfucker? He's after giving this to a four year old. Why is it why is a child using this expensive thing? <laughs> 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 so that that was the good and the that was the good and the bad. But my big royal is it's lockdown and you know, I'm missing my daughter. She's over in England. Fucking can't get over. Normally get over once or twice a year. She normally comes home. Um, and she can't come home. I can't go over. Yeah, it's just... And then they're saying, well, yeah, you're basically going to be no Christmas travel. Um, so it's fucking shit, like. Mm. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that do to your mental health? Yeah, I'm really missing her. Like, you know, I was, I was in, in work the night. I've been fucking flat out in work. And normally I'm like, yeah, there's a nice break. I go away for the weekend, I go over to her and, you know, she's over there. She's homesick. You know, I'm missing her. And, mm. yeah, and look, we're, we're one among fucking millions, billions in the world. Uh, but, yeah, it just kind of really hit me there during the week. I, was like, I fucking love to see thee, like, you know. We mm. always go over, have a good crack and, you know, just connecting with your, connecting with your family, like, and you can't. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's tough, all right. But can you see the light at the end of the tunnel? You know, it's not like in certain situations where it's a case of uh, this will never be the same again or this is it for good. I mean, can you see that in time we will be able to do this? We'll appreciate it a bit more. Well, yeah, but when? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you'll be able to do this. And it's like, it's these fucking cunts that just won't do what they're supposed to do. Mm. You know, and we all suffer. Everyone suffers then as a result. You know, you're not social distancing, you're not wearing masks, you're fucking congregating, you're having your house parties. And then you drive up the numbers and then we have to fucking, we have to go through this shit time and time and time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm saying where people are getting pissed off. It's like everyone that's been doomed a bit. Hmm. You know, I was like, well, but now we're back in lockdown. Because of you. Hmm. <laughs> and what would that stir up in you? fucking pissed off like you know it's, and I've seen it in clients so, you know. when you say pissed off is it like anger or nah it's frustrating look we're, we're recording this on Thursday you know and it, it struck me the other day well I'll choose to choose into Wednesday you know the, the chance of Trump getting re-elected um, oh, we're not talking with Trump again <laughs> but it's really disheartening 
You see, by the time this goes out, a lot is going to change. Well, but no, because he's contesting everything. So it'll probably still still be undecided. But it's like... Oh, probably will be. Till after when, Christmas. When has fucking... When has intelligence and being smart and being scientific... When when did that get disregarded? You know, when, when, when do people know better? You know, well, I watched the YouTube video. From who? Anto. Mm. Anto is telling you, fuck the government, fuck the... I'm not wearing a... What the fuck? Oh, yeah, I feel the same way. Like. But it's like, when ignorance has just become... You, you know, power for the course. Mm. You know, there's... A, a client said to me during the week, you know, we were talking about it last week, of, you know, the murders and the murder-suicides. She's like... You know, again, like, I don't know if people are selfish or if we've gotten desensitized. Like that, that woman that was killed with the kids, like before that would have been a candlelit vigil. There would have been, you know, outpourings of grief and shit. And like, are we just desensitized or have people just gotten so selfish? Do you remember in Ireland, like when a murder was major news? What did you hear about that lad murdered down in Cork? I think it still is major news, you know, um, with respect to what your client was saying. Mm, but mm. I do always feel that Ireland is like one big community that like that. If there's pain being felt in Cork, we'll mm. feel it in Westmead. We'll feel it in Kildare and Dublin and Galway. You know what I mean? There is a lot of empathy in the country. and yeah, But it's not it's nothing like it was. Like, it's nothing like... Yeah, but, you know, the I times think, we're in... Part of it is, yeah, murder has become so mainstream for want of a better word you know it's, it's regular murders are regular see that guy in the fucking see that video that went around on whatsapp a man getting a fucking hatchet across the fucking head up in Sheriff Street some young lad no he, he died there now as well like this is and people videoing it and like that circulates on whatsapp and mm. I don't know man I don't know does every generation have their struggle with that? Does every generation think, oh, every, no, oh no, you know, it's not the way it used to be? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it, is it a normal thing? Like, will our kids someday turn around and say, oh, when we were younger, it wasn't that, it wasn't like that. And, you know, we mm. only had, we only had um, high-speed broadband. You know, imagine <laughs> yeah. dealing with that. You know, now we only had a PlayStation 5. And, and now, look, person, now look what you have. Had to, a person had to get in the car and drive to your house. They had to use their feet on pedals. And do you know how long it used to take them? Like, there could be an hour. <laughs> you know, my uncle in America, and they used to have to fly for seven hours. Seven hours, imagine that. And now he's here in four seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think there's an element of that. But also, I think, well, the, the statistics will show there's more murders in Ireland. Hmm. So yeah, yeah, I think it's that element. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So so that's so that's me that's me big royal. Right. Yeah. What's your big smile this week? Uh no big smiles. A few little few little ones. Um and a lot of them uh, around James. Uh, uh, last week I forgot to mention last week. I was getting them over getting them out of the car, going into Tesco's and he goes, Oh, it's something in my pocket for you. I was like, What's he got for me? Like, I was like, well, we got me, buddy, and he couldn't, he's going through his pocket, he couldn't find it, and uh, I, I said, here, I look for you, and I put my hand in, I was like, it was two euros, I said, uh, and he's like, oh, no, that's for you, I was like, why is that for me, buddy, oh, no, just, just, just give it to you, I was like, where did oh, you get that, I said, oh, my, my mammy gave it to me, I was like, no, buddy, that's your money, you know, I get someone over here, no, you can have it, I was like, he was literally giving me everything he had, wow, yeah, you know, the only thing he had on him, and I was, so that was, that was lovely, and then, yeah, isn't it lovely when you have a situation where your child has given you a piece of chocolate that they're eating or something? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just a, it's you're right. It's a lovely, it's a small gesture, 
but it's everything to them. Yeah. You know, yeah. if I had a piece of chocolate when I was younger, no one's getting their hands on this shit. Just mine. Oh, you go get your own. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even now I'm like that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you eating? Nothing. <laughs> Broccoli. <laughs> your mouths are brown. Um. <laughs> See, the thing is, my young lad eats broccoli like he'd eat an apple. He would pick oh, it right. up and go, and loves it to bits, Brilliant. you know. Brilliant. And that's a treat, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, yeah. you eat your chips and you'll get broccoli. You hear me? Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I mean, fucking get your beer parenting oh, he's, he's fairly good but get your fucking parenting me <laughs> uh, yeah. oh, oh pee pee can I, can I have broccoli can I have broccoli well if you eat all your carrots and your pee you'll be good and be a yeah. good boy and you go to bed now when you're supposed to I will I will I will yeah. <laughs> and when you wake up in the morning you can have a big bit of broccoli oh, but only if you stay in your own bed <laughs> <laughs> but you know what the funny thing is like from a parent's point of view kids only know what we tell them yeah yeah exactly. you know um like we brought um, for good and bad Quiva to yeah, absolutely uh, to Burger actually no Laura brought her to Burger King there um, uh, it was about a year ago and just as a little treat they were out and about and said on the way home we'll grab a, bit, a bite to eat here and uh, she went in and she said uh, what do you want Quiva and she says uh, I don't know what is there she said would you like chicken nuggets and she said well what's chicken nuggets <laughs> she doesn't know what chicken nuggets are <laughs> and she doesn't get them you know yeah, what I mean yeah, yeah. like kids only know what Coca-Cola is mm. they only know what mm. McDonald's is mm. if you tell them if you yeah, bring yeah, them there yeah, yeah. and my theory is they're going to spend long enough going to these places anyway so there's no need to introduce them to them when they're two like mm. I've seen kids before drinking like one two year old drinking Coca-Cola mm. and not drinking anything else yeah Nah, it needs to be I a treat like, not yeah, your fucking I, power for the course like. but as I said to you you know and another treat for our kids I sound like a cruel parent is sweet mm. corn <laughs> you know right. kids love sweet just a little yeah, you know yeah. little tiny corn the cobs yeah, they yeah, absolutely yeah, love them yeah. and you know I'll tell them right you eat your vegetables and then the sweet corn is over there in a pot it's ready to mm. go but you have mm. to eat your vegetables you have to eat your potatoes and your gravy mm. or whatever <laughs> and uh, once you get that you can have your sweet corn and they love it <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean Great. but that won't stay a treat for too long you know, Absolutely, there will become yeah. a time where they'll go, you know, you can stick your sweet corn. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know it goes in the same and comes out the same. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's how fucking good sweet corn is. Here's a question for you. I, I meant to bring it up before. Do you think do you think obese children, would you consider that child abuse? Yes, I would. I, I would too. There's, um, there's a kid, I've seen a kid local, and I mean, this guy is, he's big and he's young. Mm. And I was like, "What are you doing to the poor fucking child?" Yeah, you know, I, I think it, I think it needs to be classified in the same way. Like, what what toll is that taking on his health? Like, what you know? Um, and look, and I know it sounds fucking judgmental, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but like, for the sake of the child, like he's and I, look, he's not alone. I've seen fucking loads of kids. Mm. Some some look, sometimes there's issues. Sometimes you got a bit of puppy fat. That's that's normal. But yeah. this is this is obese. Like this is you know struggling to walk I remember seeing there was uh, an operation transformation a few years ago they did a small feature on um, in case anybody does know anybody listening in Uganda hello mm-hmm. uh, operation transformation is a show in Ireland that goes out uh, in around January after Christmas and they get X amount of people together for 8 weeks or something like that they all try and lose as much weight as they can and the whole nation watches them and it's great it's fantastic stories behind it all and everything but they did a little segment in between 
on a young guy I think he was about 12 but he looked like he was about 16 he was huge and he was so obese that he looked deformed and you know they followed his mom he lived at home with his mom it was just the two of them and they followed her into the um the, the supermarket and all she was buying was just crates of coke and crisps and you know the young lad got up in the morning he cooked his own breakfast he cooked like rashers and sausages and then mammy came down and made him his breakfast after that and he's just constantly snacking away mm-hmm. but I I remember when they were kind of not confronting the mother, but they were talking to the mother about his diet and everything, and she was she was shocked by what had become of him. So she didn't notice this. She mm, didn't notice mm. him getting any bigger or whatever. Mm. But as they were saying, he can only eat what you put in the trolley. He can only eat what you bring home. He can only yeah, eat yeah. what you introduce to the house. And while I do think it is a form of child abuse. I do think as well that there needs to be more education around nutrition. What's good for you? What's not good for you? You know, people might think, oh, snacks, crisps or whatever. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're only, they'll they'll do you for lunch. No, Mm -hmm. there's no nutrition in them. It's Mm -hmm. not good for you. Um, But it's something I want to do a podcast on as well is nutrition. I'm going to talk to somebody about nutrition and its relation to your mental health. You know all about how good food is good for your mental health. Bad food is. Eat shit, feel shit. And now you have it. You are what you eat. You know. I remember people saying that years ago. Me thinking, Ah, come on! You can't. You can't be what you eat. But you are. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's the equivalent of putting. You know, would you put dirty diesel into your car? Exactly. Yeah. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. You know, you'd avoid the dodgy garage. Yeah. So it's the same. Same with your body. Why would you yeah. put that crap into your body? It's not Look, good for you. And a lot of the time, you know. I mean, well, it's not as bad now. But a lot of the time, like it's expensive to eat healthy. The shite is cheap. You know, for, for families that may be struggling, and this is what I'm saying, like, I don't mean to be judgmental around it, but it doesn't cost as much to eat healthy now. You know, you've got your Aldi, which are 39 cents or 59 cents. You can get your, you can get your veg, but, um, you know, you see all the organic stuff. You look at all the price of all the organic stuff and all that shite, non-GMO, like that fucking, all this kind of bollocks, like, mm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's changed now, but it was a case where it was, it was expensive to eat healthy. Yeah. It is, but if you you can eat healthy and you can bulk cook, so you can get healthy food. Yeah. Uh, okay, maybe a little bit more. Now we're we're not talking hugely expensive. Yeah. But yeah, it yeah. may be more time consuming, where it's not as easy as mm. throwing frozen chips into the oven and a, a yeah, southern exactly. fried chicken fillet yeah, into yeah. the oven, which is yeah, just yeah. cack for you. There's no yeah, nutrition yeah, on it. Yeah, but yeah. you know, you could chop up a bit of fruit and veg. You can throw them in the slow cooker or whatever. Uh, let that do its job or you can uh, batch cook uh, you could freeze it after that so when you come in from a hard day's work and you're starving with the hunger the kids are screaming at you throw that on and mm-hmm. that'll do them you know what I mean but like mm-hmm. when you think about the cost of veg and that and yeah. Aldi and Lidl and it's nothing you yeah, know it's changed. it has changed yeah it has no, but the, yeah. the other thing is you can get caught in, in, in that poverty cycle of you know I say to people well just bulk buy you know it's like some people can't afford to bulk buy you know, this this is the unfortunate thing then as well. Of well, you know, so if you buy ten of them there, sir, you know, I can't afford to buy ten of them. That's why it's more expensive to buy one. But if you buy, but I can't afford to to buy that. You know, so there is there is that cycle of poverty that can keep you trapped in it. But I mm. think in Ireland, I, I think you know, not it's not so much the case. Thanks to the cheap veg and stuff like that. Um, one thing I love cooking is uh, spaghetti bolognese mm. and I added it up before for me to cook spaghetti bolognese for uh, myself 
my wife and the two kids and still have enough left over to do let's say myself my wife the next day if the kids are um if the, the kids are in preschool and crash and they mm, get fed mm. there anyways then it came to something like seven euro that your yeah. spaghetti your bolognese your or your bolognese you'd make up yourself with mm. your your pepper your garlic your mm-hmm. um, your red onion and then your tin of uh, chopped tomatoes yeah. and yeah that's it that would feed a family and a half Mm. for two days you know Mm -hmm. so you know there is there is benefits to it obviously yeah Um, you know and that's healthy there's nothing bad in that you know so there is ways around it you know yeah exactly yeah and like you you said but it's 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 ignorance and i mean that in the strictest sense of the word you know lack of knowledge you know we're not Mm. you know this needs to be taught in schools like this needs to be just gonna say yeah that's your your home economics but uh, you know for us when we were in school home economics was for girls boys don't yeah. do home economics you I, know did, what I, mean? I did home ec I did home ec oh did you yeah oh. I changed schools uh, because the engineering or woodwork or something was five years so I couldn't do it mm. so they put me in they put me in home ec and I, I like cooking I would have done home ec didn't, yeah. like the fucking, didn't like the teacher and she didn't like me because she fucking rejoiced in telling me how I was going to fail the leaving cert I was like Look at that, miss. Look what I'm out there getting. <laughs> Got a B or something in home, eh? There's a lot of, a lot of biology in it as well. Did you do your leaving cert? Did I? Yeah, I yeah. did. Oh, I thought you dropped out before... No, I went back. I went back and repeated, man. Oh, fair play to you. Yeah, yeah, well yeah I got kicked out in fifth year, and then I, I made the decision to change school hmm. and repeat fifth year. Yeah, so I went back and I did did fifth and sixth year. Oh, wow. Leaving cert. Yeah. Excellent, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair play to you. I don't know how we went off on a tangent about food, but yeah, uh, there you go. So yeah, we talked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was Miss Wiley gave me the two euro, and then uh, sort of tied in. Uh, actually, coincidentally, I have my Harry Potter Deathly Hallows mug here from very good from Lane and Three Quarters. So we've been playing the Lego Harry Potter game um, on the PlayStation. Myself and James, you know, we we please allow play the game for an hour. So we've been playing the Lego Harry Potter, and I was like, oh, Harry Potter, and I was telling them, oh, that's such and such as a character, and that's such and such. So I actually started reading him the stories at bedtime now. Um, so that's his, that's his bedtime story now. We've started reading the, the Harry Potter books. Uh, do, you, do you do the voices? I do them, yeah, I do them a bit. Yeah, you had to yeah, do the voices, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, what struck me was you just see the change in him and he's like, he's like, oh, I'm after getting that gold brick. I was like, what the fuck, what do you have to do? Like, and he'd be going off and solving little puzzles on his own and to see that change in him like from, you know, button bashing at, at the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's fucking amazing. Like, you know, it's mm. just a change. Oh, I'm after getting that. No, you change that spell. No, you press that button. You do that one. You can see the problem solving. Very good. Um, cognition going on in his brain. So it was, it was just, so that was lovely and nice. And he's enjoyed it. Normally we'd read a, a Batman comic, so he's got pictures. But this has no pictures, you know, and I'm just reading it. And yeah, he's, he's enjoying it. So yeah. A brilliant. Bedtime time story, Harry Potter, yeah. Watch your, watch your smiles and riles. Uh, smiles and Riles. Uh, Riles wise, um, nothing really. No, I, I, I had a long hard think about this. There's not a whole lot of things pissing me off, or and you know the only thing was as I was saying to you at the start of the podcast, just you know not not getting to meet up with people and yeah, all that yeah, is, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I miss people. You know, I miss mm, my friends. Mm. I miss my family. Mm. You know, I miss you know, the opportunity if nothing else to go right. Come on. We're going to head out for dinner. Yeah. Or um, yeah. that text to say, we go for a cheeky midweek few points. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I just I've missed them opportunities. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's that's all that's kind of pissed me off this week. Anything yeah. make me smile. Um, no, we're probably talking a lot about kids uh, on this episode. But yeah, just, you know, I just say um, the things you notice with the kids. 
Mm. Um, you know, sometimes, as we said before, you don't get to that moment where you go, you know, from tomorrow on, they will no longer do this and they will be more like this. Mm. You know, you just kind of have them realization moments where you go, oh, okay. Where did that come from? <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. my young lad, he's two and I can have a chat with him now. It's yeah. funny, you know, funny, and he can it? tell me what's going on in his day yeah. in his kind of broken up way. Mm. You know, he can string like six words together, which is great. Mm. Mm. And uh, he, uh, you know, he comes out of his crash and I can ask him, you know, uh, how did you get on? What did you do? And he'll tell me, you know, he went down the slide or he played with mm. he'll name out a couple mm. of friends or whatever. And uh, sometimes they're just blatant lies because they're hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's it's seeing them moments, you know, and yeah. If there is a positive from lockdown is that you get to spend more time with the kids because I'm not commuting. I'm working from home and really enjoying mm, working mm, from home. Mm. So I get to pick them up in the crash and I get to, uh, to mm. drop them off as well. So just get to spend more time with them. And it's fantastic yeah. just to be able to see that because when you look back, um, you'll appreciate it, I think. You'll appreciate yeah. that time, that opportunity, because I've often heard of people who... Um, people who go back to work very quickly after having kids, mm. you know, mothers especially, mm. where they think, oh, six weeks later, grand, I'm going to go back and the child's mm. going to go in. Mm. But it's not until later on down uh, the road where they go, I should have held on a bit longer. I should have stayed yeah. with him a bit longer because, you know, once they move on from that other stage, they're gone. Mm. You know, that child is gone, that baby yeah, is yeah. gone, or the wobbler is gone, the toddler is gone, you know. Mm. And... Sometimes people kind of wish it away. I hear it on from some people where they go, oh, you know, maybe next year when they're a bit older and we'll be able to do this and maybe ne and next year and down the line when they're, yeah, yeah. you know, never mind down the line. What's here and now? What can we do mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. You know, how can we enjoy this now? Because once that's gone, it's gone. You're never getting it back. Yeah. You know, so I think I, I, that's one of my smiles. Yeah, I, I think for women, you know, I always, I always, and I see it in a lot of clients and, you know, I, I think women just cannot win in terms of, going back to work or not going back to work after a baby. You know, oh, oh you decided to just stay home, did you? you? You know, you couldn't juggle going back to work. or You went back to work. You didn't choose mm. to stay home with the kids. Yeah, I'm yeah. Fucking, I, I think women are damned. you as a mother it. now yeah, as opposed yeah, to yeah. a professional, you know? Yeah, I, I've said it. I've said it a number mm. of times. You know, I get... I get female clients coming to me specifically because I'm a man because mm. I feel judged by another woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's a here's an analysis or... Um, um, something just popped into my head. Mm. Um, we used to have chickens years ago out the back yeah. garden. And my dad built this like big chicken coop and, you know, we'd a few of them mm. and we'd a rooster. But um, mm. every morning you'd go out and you'd get the eggs and were delicious. But um, one chicken decided to sit on the eggs. So she was becoming the mammy of the group. Mm. And she was sitting on these eggs until the hatch. Now she she'd be sitting on these for weeks and weeks and weeks. And she'd pop out every so often. She wouldn't leave the place. But she'd pop out of the coop every so often and the feathers would be all up here. The hair would be in a mess nearly, you know, and you'd know which chicken it was because she'd just walk out and be like sunlight, you know, and she'd be looking around and the feathers would be here. And every time she did, all the chickens chased her back in to sit on the eggs. Mother hen. Yeah. But that was what they did. They decided, no, 
you're yeah, having little babies in there you yeah. have to go in and look after them they need yeah. mammy or else if they get cold they're not going to hatch or they're not mm, going to develop mm. so they, yeah they constantly push their back in they're gone out on the piss and mammy is at home fucking oh yeah the they're, kids. they're at our back door they're looking looking fucking for drinking fucking vodka and fucking <laughs> red bull <laughs> and doing fucking bumps of coke <laughs> out the fucking back while the mammy's at home minding all the fucking chicks <laughs> <laughs> fuck I tell you chickens these days they weren't the same when we had them you know <laughs> uh, nostalgia and what did you used to be? <laughs> um, yeah, so there you go. Is there mm. is there um, something similar in it all? Something similar? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, you, you talked about uh, you know being able to have the conversation and the changes in the kids and stuff like that. You know, I was, I was amazed there the other day with James, and um, first thing he says, "Oh, mammy says I can stay three nights." So he's going to, he's, he always going on about this three nights that, that he got to stay over Christmas. Um, so I texted his mom and um, I said, is, is he staying three nights next week? He said, you said, yeah, because, you know, I just know that they're prone to making up stories. Like, so I was like, I may fucking get the facts here now before I'm done for kidnapping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's like, oh, I, I'd said, yeah, but, you know, not, not next week. So I was like, oh, fuck. I thought, oh, brilliant, get three nights. And I said it to him, I was like, oh, yeah, mammy said, yeah, but not, but not next week. And you can see you had this little moment of, just had this little moment of sadness, like oh. but then he went, But at least we get three nights another time. And oh. I was like, Fucking look at that, look at that mentality, like yeah. just yeah, but we still we'll get it. I was like it I, I was good yeah. and he was but then he went, But we'll still get three nights another time. Yeah. I was like fuck, I was like to be a kid, man. Just to be a kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So this week we are straight talking EMDR. Now it's something I've never heard of before, but Alan was uh, speaking highly of it recently. And it was raised by one of our listeners who's seen the benefits of EMDR. We're delighted to have her on the podcast this week. Helen, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. Now, before we start, let me just point out to the listeners that Helen isn't her real name because she wants to remain anonymous, but also wants to tell her story. And of course, we will respect that 100%. So Helen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um. So, uh, yeah, difficult to start without kind of defining myself as a victim, which I hate to do, but this is this is the reason why I kind of got in touch with you guys. Um, so uh, a couple of decades ago, I was the victim of a crime. I was um, raped by somebody um, in a stranger attack. Um, and as a result of that, I ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and sometime afterwards had an EMDR, which is one of the reasons I got in touch with you guys after listening to your trauma episode. So, um, crikey, I'm just trying to fill the silence now. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. So, so you mentioned after the, after the attack, after the, the rape, that uh, you'd had some PTSD symptoms, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. What, what, did, what did your symptoms look like? So um, it was 10 years afterwards that I first started to get quite severe symptoms and I think it's from what I've read up it's quite common to have that delayed reaction um but my symptoms started to it, it they were initially diagnosed as depression um so I was having trouble sleeping and but that was specifically around having nightmares mm-hmm. um and nightmares associated with that attack um and I started to avoid things that um 
triggered memories of it and I'd have intrusive thoughts about it. But it gets to the point with um, people talk about triggering in a really kind of lazy way. Yeah. You know, the the kind of way they talk about obsessive compulsive disorder when they Mm. don't really mean that. Mm. Um, but oh, I like my house clean. I've got OCD. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, you, yeah. you don't know OCD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, but triggering really means like that whole uh, like that panic response that you get in yourself through something that that might seem completely unrelated. So for me, because it happened actually in November, um, I used to get um, sometimes I used to get triggered by things like the leaves falling from the mm-hmm. trees um, or cold nights because it happened on a cold night with, with clear skies. And those kind of things are very difficult to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd start to uh, avoid um, social situations as well and um, but start kind of getting obsessive around the attack and around um, whether I'd done everything that I could have done um, and a lot of self-blame around it and so on. Um, I didn't have some of the kind of um, things that you, you traditionally associate with PTSD, but I I wasn't to the point of, because it used to be called shell shock and associated yeah. only with people who'd been in war, mm. but I did also have um, a startle response that perhaps people outside of me didn't see was there, but because you, you feel like you're permanently on edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that started manifesting in, in other ways that I'd be short-tempered and um, irritable and so on. But it, it wasn't because I was depressed. It was because I was permanently scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we spoke about that on the trauma episode of um, the amygdala, which is kind of the smoke alarm in the brain and how that yeah. kind of stays in the on position. So, you, you know, you're constantly alert, you're, you're hypervigilant, uh, as you say, uh, easily startled, uh, uh, easily annoyed, you know, because mm-hmm. you're just in a constant, oh, just waiting, waiting yeah. for the waiting for the next attack. Your, your brain is just constantly, constantly vigilant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Textbook PTSD, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> After saying it wasn't typical, you're saying no, it's absolutely typical. <laughs> well, your, your symptoms, but I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd be ticking all the boxes, and yes. and this is the problem. With, you know, this is why in therapy we don't, you know, we don't diagnose because, you know, if you only met X amount of the criteria, then technically, you wouldn't fit the diagnosis for PTSD. But try telling mm. that to someone that has, has, you know, one less symptom than is required. Yes, you know, you're you're still experiencing, you're still going, you're still going through everything, but. Technically, you don't meet the criteria. So, but what I did find, I don't, I don't know if it's um, the same everywhere. But I'm based in the UK. But it, it wasn't until a a therapist actually said that I had been diagnosed with PTSD by a doctor before that anybody actually told me I had PTSD. Though it was almost like there was a fear in in saying that, Mm. which I didn't find helpful personally because at least it started to make sense of what was happening yeah once a bunch of had the awareness around it you know you could do something mm. about it and understand it a little bit one one thing that just strikes me there helen is that you didn't start to show symptoms for 10 years yes wow how did you deal with it initially um i saw some because uh, i was a student at the time when it happened and i saw the um on-site counselor who who was is more just a somebody to talk to than than mm. a really experienced therapist mm-hmm. and um i've always been somebody who's been very driven um 
and quite academically successful. And I went on and finished my degree, got really good mark and just felt personally like that was proof that everything was okay. And, but actually I think deep down I was just putting it off, putting off dealing with it. Um, and it's, it's almost like you're shoving everything into a cupboard and, mm-hmm. and there was an external stressor at the time. I was going through a difficult working relationship with my boss and I think that was just enough to fill up that cupboard so it all spilled oh, okay. out mm-hmm. um, and had to then be dealt with. So I think it was just, it was going to have to be dealt with at some point and whether it was a relationship with my boss or with, it might as well, have, it might um, also have been, it was the 10 year anniversary as well that then um, I think, Personally, I felt like I should have been done with it by that point. Mm, okay. And um, I think that then that also brought it all back up again. Yeah, it, it's, it's just amazing to hear that it's been 10 years because I would imagine that from my, I suppose, ignorant point of view that, you know, something happens here and then over time it gets easier. But obviously it doesn't. And uh, we've, you know, Alan pointed that out before. He said, you know, he's people in his 60s coming into mm. him, still talking about things that happened in school. Yes. Um, but looking back now, you said work occupied you, being academic occupied you. But looking back now, was there anything you felt you missed out on because of the attack? Did you steer away from relationships? Did you steer away from friendships? Uh, yes, very much so. Um, I threw myself back into it, but um, certainly when things got bad after after 10 years, I stepped away from a lot of friendships. Um, it's very difficult to explain to people what's going on. And um, you start to feel like you're being very needy um, okay. and taking up a lot of people's time. And, and it, you get, you know, there's, there's other things that kind of go around the PTSD that you, you feel bad about feeling bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I, I think it was, um, uh, it was one of the other guests that came on I didn't always make the best decisions in terms of my relationships, oh, yeah. which put me... Chris Pender, uh, who spoke yes, about uh, yes, sexual abuse in childhood, yeah. Yeah, and then that put me at risk and actually re-victimised me um, in terms of other relationships I had later. Um, and I think the whole kind of therapeutic process I've gone through and I'm, I'm still going through to, to a different degree is just understanding all of that um, and understanding and kind of accepting to yourself that, that actually this is a massive thing that's happened to me and it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to, to never be the person that you were beforehand because that's not really realistic. Mm. And was it something that did you kind of cling on to that, Helen, that, you know, you were trying to be the person you are pre, pre-attack? Yeah. Yes. I, and I think it's only a fairly recent realization that actually it's okay not to be that same mm. person. And I mm. think there's a, there's a theory around post-traumatic growth as well, yeah. which um, yeah. I think is an interesting way of looking at it, that you're not the same person, perhaps you're different, but mm. it's not necessarily different in a bad way. Yeah. Um, so in terms of how I am now, I'm also a mental health first aider and I don't think I would be as interested in that and as passionate about it if I hadn't gone through the experiences I have. Yeah. And then, you know, what what Helen has spoken with their post-traumatic growth was where you go through something like that, but you know, like that, perhaps becoming that, that mental health, um, 
first responder of, you know, it, it motivates you to do something of, you know, people that have been attacked that might set up charities or stuff like that, that, you know, growth and change comes. So, yeah. which is something we, we rarely hear about, you know, and I, I don't want to call it the good side, but there is that opportunity to change. Um, and, you know, something I would see very often with clients um, would be that kind of, and again, this goes back a little bit to the Buddhism of that fixed self. So, you know, you were clinging on to that, who you were beforehand. But, you know, I think, I think if, if people understand the self more as a verb, something changing, something in process rather than a noun of a fixed self of this is who I am and this is just the way I am rather instead of an ever-evolving, ever-changing um, sense of self. Mm. Because the holding on to that whole thing of, well, that's the way I was and that's the way I want to go, that's the way I want to be, versus, mm. well, this is how I am now, this has changed me, um, and I can be something new. Well, we're constantly something new. You know, we're always evolving and we're always changing. None of us are who we were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You know, because if that, in that case, we'd still be Trump's, still stuck children. (laughs) There's no evolving sense of self. We're just a petulant child. (laughs) (laughs) One thing you pointed out there, Helen, and it's something we've never discussed in this podcast before is uh, dreams. Mm. You know, you were saying you were, you were suffering from uh, nightmares. Are dreams your way of processing what's happened, Alan? You know what I mean? When you go to bed at night and your head is resting and it's kind of, uh, I don't know, unconsciously thinking about everything mm-hmm. that's happened during the day. And is that your kind of little nudge and decide to go here, sort this out? Or does yeah, it yeah. Very often it can be. It's that, uh, you know, dreams tend to represent our hopes and fears and um so, I, I, you know, interesting what Helen is going to talk about uh, with, with the EMDR. So actually what a lot of EMDR is, is it resembles REM sleep. So REM mm. sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. You know, your brain is probably as active or more active when you're asleep than when we're awake because it's processing all the memories. It's, it's shifting stuff from short-term memory into long-term memory, mm. you know, shifting it onto the hard drive kind of thing, backing it all up. And what mm. trauma interferes with, it interfere, interferes with that memory consolidation. Yes. So, so for Helen that may have uh, been having nightmares or for individuals that may be having uh, flashbacks, if you were to take, if you were to scan their brain, if you were to stick them in an MRI machine, an fMRI machine, uh, their brain would be lighting up as if it's in the here and now. Yes. It, it's, not, it's not recognized as a memory. So you can, you know, I can say to you, P, that, oh, well, what did you have for, what did you, oh, you got a coffee there this morning. And, and you can kind of imagine that as, a, you can remember that as a memory. It's not trauma isn't remembered as a memory. It's yeah. now. Okay. And it, I think there's something really strange about the memories, which I'd only really appreciated because I, I was actually in court this year. It, this, the man who did it was convicted this year. Um, How long after and, is that, Helen? Um, over 20 years. Wow. So um, I'll get to that in a minute, but mm-hmm. the, the nature of memories um, when you, just as you were talking there, you can think about what you've done this morning, but I walked out of uh, my work yesterday and I couldn't remember where I'd parked. But the nature of traumatic memory is it's so vivid mm-hmm. and accurate. Um, it's, it is like watching a film and watching a film the same time, the same way every time. You don't realize how inaccurate your memory is just day to day. 
until you kind of realize the difference between a traumatic memory and a normal memory. Okay. So a traumatic memory is like imprinted in very fine detail. Yeah. As opposed to just like, a, uh, I know, kind of like a cloudy image of getting your coffee this morning or like you say, Helen, where you parked your car. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, That's it, the par- parts okay. of it, parts of it can be and parts of it aren't. Mm. So, so what happens uh, with, with that trauma is, so the hippocampus um, is, is involved in emotion and memory storage. So that starts producing cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Um, so not everything is remembered. Um, so actually, the, the example I gave is around people that, that may have been raped, that they go to police, but what was he wearing? What did he look like? I can't remember. Uh, hang on a second, you're coming in saying this, and then you're saying you don't remember. It's like, yeah, because that part of your brain is plugged out. You know, okay. it's, it's like me saying to you, well, get, get me the, the latest episode of the podcast there, and your hard drive isn't plugged in. You're not going mm. to find it, but what it what it does is it gets imprinted in the body. It gets imprinted in. This is where it doesn't get consolidated as a memory, but it it, it it's imprinted in the nervous system. So very often, with trauma is a lot of physical sensations, and that heightened certain response because it doesn't. It's not registered as a. Just where the fuck did I park my car, or what did I have for breakfast mm. this morning, or what? Oh, sure, I went down there and I had to pick up the kids, and you have a narrative. You know, and, and, and tell me. So actually, one of the things, I don't know how accurate it is, but one of the things to do for people that are lying is they have them retell the story backwards. Because we're used to, you know, you can create a narrative, you can create a story. Okay, so I went here and then I did that and then I did that and then I did that and then I did that. Mm. But when you ask someone to do that backwards, there's no narrative. Okay. It's a made-up story. So, I, you know, it'd be easy for me to say to you, now tell me backwards what happened this morning. Hmm. So that's that's memory, and that's how it's not, you know, with the trauma is not imprinted, and it's so there can be very vivid parts, and there can be absolute black spots where you don't remember anything. Hmm. Um, Helen, you said that you uh, you reached out the campus counselor uh, when the incident happened. Was there a gap between uh, reaching out to the counselor and getting professional help? Yes, I didn't um, seek professional help um until that 10 years afterwards because you know i thought all the evidence was saying i'm fine Mm. um uh, i obviously wasn't on the inside but i think that was part of me that didn't really want to admit that to myself um so then i reached out to my gp and then eventually managed to get some emdr um this year you've gone to court yes what 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 was that experience like for you i mean that's that's dramatic in and of itself Yes, I mean, I was fortunate that uh, the offender decided to plead guilty, um, and to the, he was. I wasn't the only person he offended against. Um, mm. but there were many offences over two decades um, with multiple different women, um, but I felt the importance of reading my victim impact statement. So I went to court on his sentencing along with um, I think it was six of the other 10 women impacted. So that was for me, absolutely. I would do that again in a heartbeat because I had, uh, because of the nature of the offense, I, I didn't actually see him. Mm-hmm. So it was my opportunity to see him and to say to his face exactly what he'd done to me and how he'd injured me. And that was 
absolutely fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no, there's no sentence that he could ever have got that would make up for two decades of what he's done to me and the multiple other women. Mm-hmm. But um, it was still a really life-affirming moment to um, stand up and read that out myself and to take some power back yeah. because ultimately I was completely powerless in that moment. And I think, I mean, I've, I've maintained here my anonymity, but with the nature of um, the law in the UK, I have right to lifelong anonymity, but that also has the flip side that mm. victims are never heard. And, um, but this was my opportunity to say what this man had done and he had no right to reply, mm. which was great. <laughs> that's interesting Helen because I've never really seen the benefit of it until now until hearing what you had to say about it and that's amazing you know that you can come out and say uh, this is what happened to me and you'd no right to do that and mm-hmm. but to hear your voice and as you say take back the power that's obviously very very important yes it was very important to me and mm-hmm. um, not all of the women there felt able to stand up and speak but the ones who didn't spoke to me afterwards and said thank you because they wanted to but didn't feel able to and that was that's where they are on their journey. Um, mm. So I, I felt it wasn't just me there. You gave it them felt a voice. really important. Yeah. 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 Felt really that's important. Fantastic. Did you did you find that it gave some closure for you, Helen? The experience of the court or seeing him going down? Or? <laughs> I, I'd already got to the point in my journey where, strangely enough, I'd been seeing a therapist up to January this year and 10 days before I got a call from the police. And uh, I'd said to the therapist in that meeting, I don't care whether he's caught now because it's not going to make a difference as to mm-hmm. how I feel. Mm-hmm. I can't place my happiness on whether somebody is or isn't in prison because at some point he will be let out. Mm-hmm. And if he'd been in, if he'd been in prison straight afterwards, he'd already be out by now. Mm. Um, and that's it's just pinning all of my happiness onto somebody who hurt me, and that's that doesn't feel right to me. I think I have to do what's right for me. Um, and what happens to him now is is immaterial. Mm. At least now, to some degree, justice has been done, and he's been shown to be the person he is, and also cannot then hurt other women because even once he's out of prison he's going to be very closely monitored one thing you mentioned earlier was how you thought about uh the attack and how you thought you could have avoided it Mm. is that a common thing alan for somebody who's trying to rectify or not rectify what happened but they're trying to think to themselves if this happens again i need to put a plan in place to make sure it doesn't happen or I'm in a position to make sure I prevent it from happening again. Yeah, I think it's very common, uh, particularly for uh, sexual assault or rape or sexual abuse in childhood, that there's that guilt and there's that shame that uh, for some people that, oh, maybe, oh, well, if, if I didn't walk down that road or if I wasn't wearing what I was wearing or uh, a client who was, who was raped and... You know, and it's about really impressing that you did nothing to bring this on yourself. You know, and in in this situation, that there was a there was a house party, and that kind of um, guilt of oh well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have brought the people back. And I was like, you know, and I said, even if you did consent to sex, which you didn't, and you changed your mind, that's your right. 
he still had no right to do whatever you did. Even if Helen was walking down the street naked, there is no justification for anything that happened. And they think, you know, and they think it's a very common thing in, in society, you know, oh, what were you wearing? You know, that was very much yeah. a, a, that old way of thinking. I, I think there's a bit of, bit more sensitivity to it now. Oh, but sure, look what she was wearing. Mm. You know, yeah. that. it's like, where the fuck? How the fuck does that? There's no fucking justification, like. Mm. So, but like, you know, and I think, you know, in particular, a particular client I work with at the minute is, you know, really trying to impress and time and time again of going, you did nothing wrong. You were in no way responsible for this. Even if you initiated sex, which you didn't, you still had the right to change your mind and he still had the obligation to stop. Nothing you've done is wrong. But there is that victim blaming, even within ourselves, where we blame ourselves. Of, what was I thinking? What was I doing going that way? Oh, what was, I should have, I should have, I should have. And, and, and you get into all of that. And, you know, particularly with, with the childhood sexual abuse and as well of blaming themselves. You know, I brought this on myself or, you know, I should have said no or I should have told someone. Or mm-hmm. um, So a large part of working with um, trauma like that is, is trying to alleviate that sense of shame um, that, that, can, that can come along with it. And, and that mm. guilt of I did something wrong. Nothing yeah. you did was wrong. Absolutely nothing you did was wrong. Um, Helen, where did you come across EMDR? So I was referred to a trauma specialist um, after I had that um, breakdown, I suppose, after 10 years. And um, he was just starting out and using EMDR. Um, and I I heard bits about it, but this was, oh, crikey, um, this must have this would have been about 14 years ago. So it was still reasonably new as a technique mm. and, into, and certainly an adoption in the UK. Um, and um, so I, I was aware of it, um, but it, it was quite difficult to find people who were doing that as a, as a technique. I had to wait a long time to be able mm. to see him. There was a long waiting list. Um, and I remember looking around to see whether there were private therapists because I was prepared to, to pay, but there just weren't back then. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I heard of it. Um, it was life changing for me, I have to say. Do you want to people what's, what's involved in it, Helen? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so EMDR, now some of this might sound a little bit kind of woo woo, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. bear with me. I'm not really, I'm not really totally bought in whether all of the technique is actually what helps, but I'll explain mm, it. Mm. The, um, what you do is you, the, one of the first things you do is you set up like a safe space. So, because mm. this is pretty hardcore in terms mm. of therapy. Um, and that's uh, somewhere where at the end of a session, you can get your emotions settled down and um, calm down to a place where um, you're feeling better to go out into the world. But the main bulk of what you're doing is reliving some of the worst. Um, what, what we did was focus in on a, a visual memory of something that felt most traumatic to me. And as whilst doing that and letting your mind then wander on to what, where it wants to go, um, the therapist uh, would either use their fingers so that you, you're looking from back to forth as they're moving their fingers or they might tap your knees so you're moving your eyes back and forth while they're closed or they might use lights that kind of thing so the idea is you're you're processing these memories whilst you're moving your eyes back and forth and that's what you're talking about in terms of it being like REM sleep Mm -hmm. now 
whether or not that's the thing that helps or whether it's that you're reliving those memories in a safe setting, I, I'm not sure. But either way, it was transform- transformational for me. But I think the thing I do want to kind of caveat that with is that um, you're warned when you start this process that it can make things worse before it makes it things better. And I mm-hmm. certainly experienced that. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I, I remember on one occasion actually having a, a flashback where I, I heard this person's voice and I was awake. I was stood in a, in a room at work at the time and I heard somebody, this man's voice behind me and it obviously wasn't real, mm-hmm. but it was, um, I'd never had that before I started this therapy. But that said, it, it's, you, you go through, um, therapeutic sessions very fast so you can start to see some progress within um probably about five sessions um, and where you start to see some improvement so you go through some really tough sessions but then you actually see real change um to the point where you you can find that you you're not going for those avoidance behaviors you're not having the nightmares and that can be absolutely transformational in terms of that trauma response um as i've said it's not everything though and i think when i was talking about earlier on around some of the the thoughts i've got around self-blame and and some of that that's things i've worked on in other types of therapy and i think emdr is really good for that traumatic response but not necessarily all of the other stuff that might go Mm -hmm. with it so just to let people know so emdr um stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing um uh, helen had touched on a couple of things there where it can be the the therapist moves their moves their fingers back and forth um, in front of your eyes so as you're telling you will say okay if you just if you just track my fingers here now or there, there can be a light there can be a light kind of nearly like night rider headphones where you hear a sound in 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 each ear or uh, sometimes there can be sensors in your hand um so it's left right left right and it's it's about there's a couple of things so yeah so as helen had mentioned of uh, i don't know which part of it works having that safe space which 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 is absolutely required or what essentially what the science behind it is and, and they don't kind of really know uh, exactly but a lot of it seems to be around what's called uh, kind of bilateral integration so you would have heard us uh, talk on the podcast before about a bottom up and a top down in the brain so your brain stem up to the middle up to the front to the prefrontal cortex but what we also have is we've got two brain hemispheres so your brain is you've got the left right left left brain hemisphere controls the right side of the body and the right brain hemisphere controls the left side of the body so it's about integrating side to side um, taking emotional parts of the brain and integrating that um, with the more logical um, and cognitive parts of the brain so which is why you've getting oh. you're getting left to right or right to left you know you're right yeah you're integrating one side of one brain hemisphere into the other brain hemisphere um, nearly kind of Getting that, getting that stuff over there, so we can understand it as a narrative and not a, not a trapped um, emotional experience. Wow, incredible! I've never heard of that before, and it just it makes sense, you know, when you explain <laughs> it like that—the left to right and the left to right hemisphere and different sides of your body it obviously controls and all that. You know, when you think about when somebody has a stroke, you know, when it happens on the 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 left hemisphere it affects mm-hmm. the right inside of your body mm-hmm. and all that so that yeah that makes absolute sense well a, um, a, lot, a lot of what we know about the brain comes from brain injuries 
you know, where people might have a, a particular part through injury of their brain and then they lose speech or then they lose this part. So that that's how a lot of, you know, the kind of brain science started off was these injuries and go, oh, does this part control that? Oh, that seems to affect speech. That seems to affect yeah, yeah. Uh, memory or a sense of self and stuff like that. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, Helen, was... Um, Obviously, you know, we you spoke of the benefits of, of EMDR and all the research backs, uh, all the uh, the efficacy of around around trauma in particular, particularly people with symptoms of PTSD. Mm. What was life like before EMDR and what's life been like since EMDR? So before, as I said, um, the intrusive thoughts were probably the biggest thing and um, having not knowing when you could be triggered to have them. Mm. And you're trying to do your work, you're trying to get through your day, and then it just derails you. And I, that's definitely had an impact on my career, and certainly before I had that EMDR. And the way that you're just trying to avoid those triggers, it just puts limits on your life. And um, I, since EMDR, I've... Um, I've taken up running, although at the moment I'm actually injured, so I can't do it. But um, one of the things I did was there's a, a route which of, a, of a run that um, actually goes past where it happened. And I went and ran that for a charity that means a lot to me. And that felt absolutely fantastic because it was it's just a, a way of, again, like taking back that power, taking back mm-hmm. that, actually, this doesn't have to limit me anymore. Um, I don't have to avoid things that I used to find difficult. And don't get me wrong, there, there are things that when it comes around to the anniversary, you, you still feel sad about it. And EMDR is not going to take away that sadness. Um, and nor should it. You know, it's not, you're never going to feel great about that having happened. But at the same time, I'm not derailed by it in the same way. Um, And I think that it's also had a really positive impact on relationships as well. And uh, I'm not going to pretend that it's always rosy, but I don't think everybody's relationships are rosy. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's a far healthier approach that I have to it nowadays. And I said it was difficult to get into this topic without being kind of graphic, but there's an awful awful lot of women, sadly, have gone through what I've been through in some form or another. Um, If you really understood the numbers, it would be really shocking to most people just how many. And I'm sure the numbers reported. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the Um, orienting. But that I've got to the point where, and it can be very difficult for a lot of women who to then have uh, intimate relationships as a result of what they've been through. And that was a problem for me. And now it's not a problem. And that is bloody fantastic. Because <laughs> missing out on that part of your mm-hmm. life, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And having that associated with something so traumatic, it's horrible. Um, so being able to just get back to that sense of normality in the day-to-day stuff, the people that you love is is life-changing it takes away something that is a wonderful part of a relationship where Hmm. you know the sexual part of a relationship that unfortunately can be re-triggering you know sexual experiences it can be a a traumatic reminder traumatic flashback of of that experience and you know i think i think what what your story has demonstrated helen is that um you know it's not just the incident 
it wasn't just that it, the, the long-term impact and and what it deprived you of uh, for yeah. so long that's yes I, I think i think a lot of people don't realize that it's like oh you were no. you were raped oh that must have been horrible yes but let me tell you about how that still impacts me let me tell you what that all the good stuff in my life that has deprived me of let me tell you of what else i do to try and cope with that let me tell you what else i had i do to try and avoid any reminder of that yeah. But I don't want people to be left hearing this and thinking that there's no hope because mm-hmm. I think um, from my experience, there really is. And there's mm-hmm. hope of mm-hmm. certainly settling down all of that traumatic response. Um, and as I've said at the start, I'm still on my therapy journey. I'm still um, working on other things, but there isn't anybody out there that wouldn't benefit from some therapy, I don't think. Clearly, um, <laughs> <laughs> listener, uh, you hear us babbling on about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, just that the hope that not only have I got past the, the trauma part of it all, but also the guy's actually in prison. And, you know, mm-hmm. that felt impossible two decades ago. And it felt impossible for an awful long time. Um, but because of going out and seeking help and being prepared to actually go through what can be quite traumatic, but the process of reporting it, I'm actually yeah. dead proud of myself. But also so just be. want well, I just want to give people that hope that mm. actually sometimes the bad guys do get caught and sometimes people do improve they do their mental health just get better even if they've been through something awful fantastic yeah and look we're always saying it you know we're always looking for people to tell their story here because it's only when you hear other people's stories you realize oh oh there is hope this does happen to other people other people have stuff going on and helen we're just absolutely thrilled to be that you came on to tell your story and you've told it so well and you know by talking to you here, you can see um, how well-rounded you are. You know <laughs> how well you hide it like the rest of us, Helen. Either <laughs> whichever may be applicable. <laughs> well, if the pubs were open, you know, you'd really get to know. <laughs> oh, you're getting all locked. You're closed now, aren't you? You're locked down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Lockdown starts again today, and then mm. the day of recording. So, joy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our world. <laughs> Speaking of our world, Helen, you're a you're a podcast listener here and it was it's great absolutely great that you you got in touch and you reached out to us and uh, you spoke you were talking earlier about um uh, the story you heard from chris pender who was on with us yes. before and you know that obviously resonated with yourself and you know it just goes to show you when you tell your story it it matters it counts you know mm-hmm. as a listener helen what, what do you think of it how did you find us what what have you met of these two irish lads shy talking <laughs> I used to live with an Irish housemate, so I just love listening to you guys and listening to um, you just naturally talking and then bringing mental health into it, because I think that's just absolutely fantastic and normalising just talking about mental health. I actually came across you guys because I was searching around CBT, because I'm having a bit of um, CBT Mm. uh, therapy at the moment around um, my thinking style and and so on and, and just trying to help myself along with that and came across your CBT episode. So I've found that really informative um, and just you guys make me laugh. <laughs> 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 <Sorry>. <laughs> I 
I listen to you on my way to and from work and um, have a good laugh, but also learn something as well. So I think that's great. Uh, you might know that at the end of the podcast, we like to um, leave the words of inspiration or alternative inspiration with Alan. But uh, Helen, it's your go this week. <laughs> no pressure. Mm. Words it. of inspiration. Uh, alternative. Well, any, alternative. Any talk that I might say, Absolutely. or you have better wisdom than me, obviously, <laughs> Helen. <laughs> well, my words of inspiration are only about hope. I think hope is um, everything. And I think if my story can inspire somebody else to say, yeah, actually, there is better at the end of this, then that would be fantastic. Mental health. Mental health. Mental health.